This message was presented at the Amen Missions 2017 Bible Conference Shaken But Not Forsaken in Port Elizabeth, South Africa. For more resources like this, visit us at www.amen-missions.co.za. Amen. Advent message to every nation. So our message this afternoon is entitled, What to Do with Doubt. What to do with doubt. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word. And I just ask, Father God, that you would make me a right vessel. I ask that you send your Holy Spirit as we discuss this topic. Uh, let the words not be mine, Lord. Instead, Father God, let us hear a word from the throne room of grace. It's our prayer in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to go to the book of Mark, the ninth chapter, and to give you the background on this story. Uh, Jesus had just taken three of the disciples with him into the Mount of Transfiguration. So Peter, James, and John had been asked to go up. Now, so if Jesus takes three disciples up with him, how many disciples does he leave below? Nine, right? Twelve minus three is nine. And so nine of the disciples are left behind. Three of them go up. And if you read the story of the Transfiguration, what happens is that when Jesus gets into the mountaintop, uh, he is visited by two people. He's a visited from heavenly beings. He's visited by Elijah and he's visited by who? By Moses. Now you've got to imagine that as Jesus' life is unfolding on earth and ministry is beginning to wear on him, that there are two people in heaven, three total, but two people specifically in heaven, two who are Jews on earth, that are very worried about the outcome of Christ's ministry. You see, if Elijah and Moses know that if Jesus fails on earth, they have to come back. Their ticket to heaven is revoked if Christ fails. So you can only imagine that when the father says, listen, someone needs to go and cheer up my son. Elijah and Moses were probably jumping up and down on a sea of glass. Send me, send me, send me. I'll go and talk to Jesus. Because they wanted Christ encouraged. So they get there and the three disciples are brought up. The nine who are left behind are unhappy. They were, you know, the disciples were always jockeying for position. So the nine who are left behind are quite upset that they didn't get a chance to go up with the other three into the Mount of Transfiguration. And so Jesus goes up. Jesus begins to glow. Uh, he's transfigured. Peter, you know, jumps in. Hey, let me let us set up an altar for each of you. And all of this starts to happen. And as Jesus is coming down after this amazing experience, Mark 9 and verse 14, the scripture says, and when he came to his disciples, meaning the nine, he saw a great multitude about them and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, what question ye with them? So the scribes are all over his nine disciples. Jesus comes to their defense. Why are you questioning my disciples like this? And remember, you've got to see yourself kind of in the story. There's a huge crowd gathered uh, waiting for Jesus' return because they know that he must come back to the nine disciples. As this happens and there's this, this giant crowd, a man steps forward with a child in tow. He's got a little boy with him, 
And in verse 17, the Bible says, one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto you my son who has a what? Now, the word dumb in English does not mean what it, it means in America. In America, someone calls you dumb, they mean, they call, they're calling you stupid. It's not actually what dumb means. Dumb means an inability to communicate. So to be of a dumb spirit means you, are, you can't communicate. In fact, uh, in many ways, this is what we, one of the characteristics of a, a big epidemic now in the world, which is autism. It is an inability for a child to properly communicate. He says, my child, the child has a dumb spirit, and, the, and his father says, and wheresoever he takes him, meaning the, the spirit, he tears him, and he foams, uh, foameth and gnashes with his teeth and pines when he falls away. And he says, look at the last part. He says, I spoke to your disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. I spoke to your disciples that they should deal with this demon, but your disciples were incapable of dealing with this demonic force. Now, let's get deeper into the story. So the multitude is there. It's like in the schoolyard when a fight breaks out. The father brings his son out. The, the center of the crowd opens up. Everyone stands around as a spectator now. They want to see what is Jesus going to do. The father points out the nine disciples who were left behind and says, those guys I, were here. You weren't here. Those nine disciples were here, and I expected that your nine disciples would have been able to cast out the demon out of this child. I shouldn't have had to wait for you, Jesus. Your disciples should have been able to do this work, but they couldn't. Now, what we know is that the nine were left spiritually powerless because of their envy and their uh, disgruntled nature with the fact that that the three went up and they didn't. I hope you're hearing this thing. You see, when the church becomes divided and when folk begin to fight inside the church, the church becomes powerless. It was not a great feat to ask that the nine cast out the demon. The nine, including Judas, in the course of Christ's ministry, were able to work miracles. But because of envy, jealousy, hatred, anger, they were rendered spiritually powerless. Now, one of the great stories I've heard about this, and I'm talking to you all because you all represent churches. And what happens in the church a lot of times is that the devil will plant a seed of division and folk will begin to fight. Now, you can fight along a different lot of different lines. The devil does not care the line you choose to fight over. Oh, you don't miss this thing. He doesn't care if it's because black and white people can't get along. The devil doesn't care. The devil doesn't care if it's because two tribes can't get along. He doesn't care. He doesn't care if the men can't get along with the women or the women with the men. He doesn't care if it's generational and the older folk can't get along with the younger folk. All the devil cares is that he can splinter the church. Because once he can splinter the church and the church is divided, the church is rendered powerless. This happened to a church in Nashville, Tennessee. And they told a story. When I took E.E. E. Cleveland, a great preacher's class, he taught a class at Oakwood University called Dynamics of Christian Living. And he tells the story in this, in, 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 in this class 
Um, and he ran the class like a church. It was an amazing experience. And so when, you, when he's telling the story, he's telling the story of the church in Nashville that they called into Oakwood in Huntsville, Alabama, which is about an hour and a half from Nashville, Tennessee. And they said, you got to come up here, bring your powerful preachers because the church has become possessed. And they didn't understand fully what they meant until they went there. Now, E.E. Cleveland's a great preacher. And sometimes preachers take a license. You know, they exaggerate a little bit. Uh, but, but this is what he said. He said that when he walked into the church, the pews were floating in the air. He said the church was ice cold. He says that the church was fully possessed by demonic forces. So when the pastors that had come up from the university began to cast the demons out, what he told us in the class, and I've had it verified by someone who was a student at the time and someone who was a pastor in Tennessee at the time, have verified the story. They said that when they began to cast the demons out, they said to the demon, how is it that you are possessing an Adventist church? The demon said, we, had, we were given power over this church because the church was divided. They cast out another demon and said, demon, what do you have to do with us? Why are you here? The demon said, we sing with the choir at your school. The demon said that. And they said, how can you sing with the choir? And the demon said, we can sing with the choir because the choir does not sing to praise God. They sing to gain attention. The nine could not cast them out because the nine were envious, jealous. They thought, the others thought they were better than them. And so their reaction was one that ran off the spirit of God and invited in the spirit of the enemy. Verse 19. Jesus answered and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. Jesus said, listen, the generation is faithless. My nine disciples are faithless. The scribes are faithless. The father seems faithless. The crowd is faithless. The generation is faithless. He said, bring the boy to me. Now, when the boy begins to come to him, the Bible says, and when he saw him, the demon straightway, the spirit tear him. He fell to the ground. He wallowed in foaming. And he, and he asked the father, Jesus asked the father, how long is it ago since this came unto him and Jesus and the father says to Jesus, since the boy was just a child. Now, why does Jesus do this? Now, any great physician, the, one of the first things they teach you in medical school, when I was in medical school, the first thing they teach you is how to take a good history. You've got to understand the problem to address the problem. So Jesus says, how long has this been upon this child? The father says, since he was just a little child. Now, what we now know about human growth and development is that the mind of the child is a sponge. So what you expose your children to, they will absorb and they will retain. In fact, their characters will be developed based on what they're being exposed to at a young age, specifically their personality, but definitely because of that, even their character. Now, I want you to get this. So when you sit your child down in front of a television, and you walk away because now your child has been hypnotized. You know, television hypnotizes you to an extent. Anytime you do something and you lose track of time. You ever, been, you ever watch a really good movie? And you say, boy, man, is it over already? 
That's a form of hypnotism. You've lost control of time. You lost uh, contact with, with, the, with the time as you were taken over by the show. Right? So when you sit your child down and the show is giving your child all this information, you've got to understand that there are spiritual forces at work. Because did you ever ask yourself who wrote the television show? Do you ever ask yourself what is the purpose of the show? What spiritual ramifications the show has? What work is being done on the child's mind, on your mind when you watch the television show? Jesus saying, listen, from he was just little. These problems started because of what he was probably exposed to. One of the unique things about this, this story is that there's no mother mentioned. This is just a father and his son. And it speaks to the importance of fathers, at least indirectly in the story, because it happens to a child. Look at how, 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 how Paul says this in 2 Timothy. Paul says, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto what? More ungodliness. Now, I want you to get this. The Bible says to study to show yourself approved unto God. Why? Because you can study to show yourself approved unto a whole lot of other things. You can, you can, you can please the dean at your school or the principal at your school or the teachers or the professors. But we as Christians don't study to, to, to impress man. We study so that God is, 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 is approves of it, so that God is pleased with it. And here's the way the human mind works. Everything you do, you're studying. Did you know that? Everything that goes into the mind stays in the mind. It is stored in the subconscious. Now, you might say, well, I don't remember everything. That's because you put new memories in front of it, and you'd have to climb over a lot of memories, as it were, to get to those old memories. But you need to understand that every novel you read... Every television program you watch, every song you listen to on the radio, your mind is being affected. And God says, don't study that foolishness. Study to show yourself approved unto God. How? By rightly dividing the word of truth. That's what you should be sharing with your child. Verse 16 speaks to the new hip-hop generation. It's funny because when I was in Johannesburg at the hotel, I was trying to just understand South African culture. So I was flipping through the channels and... I didn't get a whole lot of stuff. A lot of it was American television. So I landed on a South African girl who, who was a radio host, and she does a hip-hop show. So I grew up in, listening to hip-hop in the United States. So I said, okay, let me see what's the difference. And I was swear those guys were American. So then I Googled them, and I was like, wait a minute, he, he's African. And he's African, and she's African. All of them, and they had completely, in fact, they took even the most negative words that black Americans use the N-word as we say in America now, and they were just spouting it off in these rap songs that are South African. And I said, man, this is terrible. The influence of the most ignorant aspect of American culture has been absorbed by our brothers and sisters here in Southern Africa, and they're now singing and dancing around in ways that really shame us in North America. Crazy is the only thing I can walk away from it and, and say. The Bible says to shun, meaning turn away from profane and vain babblings. Young people, that is the definition of hip-hop music. It is profane. Somebody see y'all act like y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Y'all know what I'm talking about, young people. It is profane and it's vain. It's I, I, I. I'm going to do this. I got this. I drive this. 
I, 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 just like Lucifer said. I will exalt my throne above the Most High. I will sit on the sides of the North. I, I, I. And that's the exact way hip-hop is. Because hip-hop, many of you don't know this, hip-hop comes out of a, of, out of a, of, out of a very uh, terrible, dark religion in the United States called the 5% Nation of Islam. It is not Islam like in Saudi Arabia. It is something totally different. And what it teaches is that the black man is God. Oh, y'all, y'all see, y'all don't know. Y'all listen, people down here, you listen to hip hop and don't understand it comes out of a very dark place. A religion that teaches that the black man is God. Now, I, whenever these guys are trying to convert me when I was growing up, I say, if you God, how come you don't have a job? You should have a job if you God. At least you should have a job, brother. But my point is, out of that came this idea that you own everything and you should have everything and there are no moral laws for you because you are God. And yet this is the this has seeped into all the way down here into South Africa. So I'm, I'm watching this and I'm scratching my head trying to figure out how did this madness that is plaguing us in North America all the way down here in South Africa. The Bible says to shun profane and vain babblings. Uh, Kanye West said, I sold my soul to the devil and the price was cheap. Now, DMX said, I sold my soul to the devil and the price was cheap. Living life on this level and it's twice as deep. They're telling you in hip hop that they've sold their soul to the devil. The Bible says to shun this stuff. Be careful what you expose yourself to because you don't understand the demonic alliances. But shun profane and vain babbling so they will increase unto more ungodliness. Spirit of Prophecy says it like this. Character building is the most important work ever entrusted to human beings. And never before was its diligent study so important as now. Never was any previous generation called to meet issues so momentous. Never before were young men and young women confronted by perils so great as confront them today. That boy, dumb in spirit, is dumb because he has been affected by the world in such a way he can no longer communicate with his father or with his God. I challenge the young people, what are you doing that is blocking your ability to communicate with your family and with your God? One of the big problems in the United States right now, I'm going to talk more about it um, later on in the week here in South Africa, but is in, in America is the legalization of marijuana. I pray that's not happening here. But the world is beginning to teach that the use of marijuana is harmless. That is a lie. As all of these states in the United States are legalizing marijuana, they're not fully disclosing what we know about marijuana from a medical perspective. We know that if you start smoking marijuana before the age of 18, you increase your lifetime risk of psychotic illness. Those are diseases like schizophrenia. So already, if you go to Los Angeles, as beautiful as Los Angeles is in parts, when you go down to a place called Skid Row, and, I, and whenever I have visitors come to L.A. when I was living in L.A., I didn't just take them to the beautiful beaches or where all the big mansions are in Beverly Hills. I took them to Skid Row. I took them to where the, the gangsters are. And I took them there to show them that this is not a land of glamour. One of the highest homeless populations in the world is in Los Angeles, California. And if you spoke to them, as much as nobody would want to confess this, one of the 
quintessential reasons for this homelessness is mental illness secondary to drug abuse. And one of the key drugs that have made minds unstable over the last few decades in the United States is the drug marijuana. Combined with alcohol and combined with a whole lot of other stuff. But marijuana all by itself. Now here's what's scary. That was before they legalized it. And the marijuana of today is genetically engineered. So it is up to 100 times more potent than the marijuana of the 1960s. Except now it's ubiquitous. I was talking to a kid close to me just this week, and I was like, I heard you started smoking marijuana. He said, yeah, well, it's, it's legal now. You think, make it, exactly, you think it because it's legal all of a sudden it's harmless? In America, every year, over 400,000 deaths can be attributed back to nicotine. Another 400,000 deaths or more can be attributed back to alcohol. Those are the two legal drugs. We're adding marijuana as a third drug, and no one understands the consequences. We are going to have minds, and I honestly believe as a Christian, and as a physician, but as a Christian, that when you drink, and when you smoke weed, and when you do drugs, you open up your mind, you weaken your mind, and its defenses against demonic forces. So that when you get high, and that's why all these artists say, well, you know, Biggie Smalls would say, well, you know, when I wanted to write a dope rhyme, I couldn't think of anything. I'd go get drink alcohol and smoke weed and, and get prostitutes and all this kind of stuff. Because when you do all of that stuff, you stop writing the song. Y'all missing this thing. And the demonic forces write the song for you. And everyone in church ought to know that the greatest musician to ever live in the universe is Lucifer. In fact, the Bible says he was built with pipes and tabrets. He was a living, breathing musical instrument. And his ability to make music that the whole world loves, Barry Manilow coined it for him best many years ago in the 1970s. Barry Manilow said, I write the songs that make the young girls cry. You remember that old song? Some of y'all remember that old song. But that's how Lucifer works. He writes the songs. The father is dealing with this, and Jesus is looking at him. The father goes on, he says, and oftentimes, not only did it start when he was a child, but oftentimes, this thing has tried to kill my son. It's cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. And then he asks this question. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now, this man journeyed probably a good distance to get to Jesus. He carried his son with him. A son who was not well behaved, clearly, by his fits and, and, and foaming at the mouth. It was difficult to probably manage him. He had enough faith to get to where Jesus was. Enough faith to approach the nine disciples and ask for healing. Enough faith to wait for Jesus when the nine could do nothing. And enough faith to then step out into the middle of the multitude to ask Jesus for help. But when he asks for help, he asks with a if. If, Jesus, if you, can, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. He came to Jesus with a broken faith. He came to Jesus with a faith that was weighted down by doubt. Now watch this. Jesus said unto him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Now watch this. You got to follow Jesus. Jesus is a brilliant person when it comes to words. 
So Jesus says, Jesus' response basically says, who are you ifing? Jesus basically said, the if's not on me, the if is on you. If I can do anything, no, Jesus said, wait, wait, hold on. Brother, I can do all things. I was the one who stepped out on nothing and stretched out the stars. I'm the one who stepped into darkness and said, let there be light, and there was light. I'm the one who said, let the herbs of the ground grow where they are and let the animals be created after their own kind. I am the God who bent down in the dust and formed man out of the dirt of the ground. I can do all things. Jesus said, wait a minute, who are you ifing, bro? The if's on you. If you can believe. All things are possible to him that does what? You know how many things, how many bad behaviors and attitudes, bad habits, secret sins we all are wrestling with because we keep ifing Jesus? Instead of standing and just realizing that Jesus can free you from whatever it is that's binding you? If you can believe, church, everything becomes possible. She said, don't if me. If yourself. If you can believe, all things are possible. Verse 24 says, and straightway the father of the trial cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Watch this. Help thou my what? My unbelief. This is what you do with doubt. Don't miss this thing. This is what you do with doubt. When doubt comes upon you, you take your doubt to Christ. You take your doubt to Jesus. When your professor tells you that the whole world is an accident, a statistical impossibility, and that you evolve from some lower form of life, you take your doubt to Christ. When the world tells you that you should not be a Christian because there's no way that a man died on a cross and, and then rose on his own volition three days later, you take your doubt to Christ. When you have more bills than you have money, you take your doubt to Christ. When you don't know if you're ever going to find a husband or a wife, don't take your doubt to the world. Match.com will find you a joker to marry. You better take your doubt to Jesus. I don't, do you have Match.com down here? They have Match.com in America. It's big. eHarmony and Match.com. Everybody find their people online nowadays. They like, like they order a shirt. Just, Boop, shows up in the mail. What I'm telling you is, you have got to learn to trust God in every small and large aspect of your life. You can't doubt God for groceries and expect to trust him for salvation. Oh, y'all missing this thing. You missing this thing. You can't trust, you can't doubt God for a job and expect you're going to be able to work for him and serve him. You've got to trust him in every aspect of your life. What do you do with doubt? Take your doubt to Jesus. Take your doubt to God. Lay your petitions before him. Pray and agonize with God. Plead with God for victory and for deliverance. Take your doubt to him. Because what the world tells you to take your doubt away from him. Now what you notice is folks stop coming to church. You start staying home. You figure you can solve your own problems. And you start to try and pacify yourself with the things of the world, with the music, the entertainment. 
the lifestyles of the world, and that begins to bring up greater rift. And your doubt, like a metastatic cancer, begins to grow and spread within you. Until finally you get to a point where you can't stand God. And don't realize God was never the problem. You were the problem the whole time. Ellen White says it like this. She says, it is faith that connects us with heaven and brings us strength for coping with the powers of darkness. In Christ, God has provided means for subduing every sinful trait and resisting every temptation, however strong. But many feel that they lack faith and therefore they remain away from Christ. Let these souls in their helpless unworthiness cast themselves upon the mercy of their compassionate Savior. Look not to self, but to who? To Christ. He who healed the sick and cast out demons when he walked among men is the same mighty Redeemer today. Faith comes by the word of God, then grasp his promise. Him that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Cast yourself at his feet with the cry, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. Look at what Ellen White says after this. You can never perish when you do this. Never. Did you get that? If you're willing to you take your doubt to Christ, if you're willing to plead with him and say, Lord, I believe enough to show up at church, but Lord, I don't really get all of it. The father came, had enough faith to come to Jesus. He didn't have enough faith to fully believe. But guess what? He was blessed because his doubt was introduced in the presence of Christ. And Christ could deal with it. Look not to self, but to Christ. You know the problem a lot of us have? We are so busy looking at ourselves. Now watch what the devil does. The devil gets you to constantly think about all the bad you've done in your past. All the sin you've committed. The devil works to convince you that you are worthless, that you're no good, that you fail God. And he drills this in, drills this in. And like a tape, as the ad, like one in addiction medicine, the drug addicts would say, it's like a tape playing in your mind. All the mess you've done, all the foolishness you've done. And the devil wants you to focus on your weaknesses. But here's, here's the trap. The more you focus on yourself, by default, the less you focus on Christ. And your deliverance does not come in looking down at yourself. Your deliverance comes in looking up at Christ. If you turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face, the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his wonder and grace. Are you getting this? So I want to challenge you that when the devil comes and tells you all the mess you've done, all the mess you're in, how broken you are, when he reminds you of your past, I challenge you to remind Satan of his future. Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. You can never perish when you do this. Never. Ellen White is a great quote. Ellen White and Prophets and Kings, page 175. A great quote, another one to put up in your cubicle. I hope you guys use the term cubicle here. You might think I'm crazy. Right? You, you use, use cubicles? You, the word you cubicle? So when you go to work and you, and you know how they partition up the workspace and you get one little tiny cube to sit in? That all weekend I've been saying, put this up on your cubicle. What do you call it here? Oh, it is a cubicle. Oh, okay, okay. 
So put this on your cubicle. So when you're at work and you get discouraged, you can read this quote. Nothing is apparently more helpless, yet really more invincible than the soul that feels its nothingness and relies what? Holy on God. Nothing is apparently more helpless, yet really more invincible than the soul that feels its nothingness and relies wholly and completely on God. The scripture says when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, you dumb and deaf spirit. Notice communication, dumb and deaf. You see that? You dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him. And the little boy was as one dead, the Bible says, insomuch that many said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. When you have an encounter with Christ and the, and the, and the weight of sin in your life is being dealt with, when the devil is going, one of the things the devil is going, he's going to try and tear you to shreds before he lets go of you. So folk often wonder, you know, and some of you might be getting baptized today. When you move towards God and you want to get baptized, sometimes the trials and the tribulations in your life increase. As the devil tries to destroy you before you give yourself totally to God. And sometimes you will feel as if you're dead. But watch this. When you come into the presence of Christ, the old self has to die. If you allow the old self to die, he will lift you up into newness of life. And you'll be, and you'll have, you'll be a new creation in Christ Jesus. The Bible says Jesus took him by the hand and he lifted him up and he arose. Now, the story twists here because the disciples are perplexed, especially the nine. They can't understand what just happened. They thought they could have the power to cast out this demon. They couldn't figure it out. So they're embarrassed because I can imagine Judas is like, listen, ain't nobody can cast this demon out. You might as well forget about it. When they got to the house, his disciples asked him privately. That means, you know, they were ashamed. Why couldn't we cast that demon out? He said unto them, this kind can come forth by what? Nothing but by what? Prayer and fasting. There's some things in your life that you need to move. For some of you, it's secret sin. You needed to move. For some of us, it's secret sin. We needed to move. For some of us, it's a dream. It's a purpose that God has placed upon us, something that we're supposed to do with our lives, and we can't figure out how to get from where we are, point A, to the point B that Jesus has for us. I challenge you to fast and pray over that thing. Some things can only move when we pray and fast. Spirit of Prophecy says, if you have faith like this, you will lay hold upon God's word and upon all the helpful agencies he has appointed. Thus, your faith will strengthen and will bring to your aid the power of heaven. The obstacles that are piled by Satan across your path, though apparently as insurmountable as the eternal hills, shall disappear before the demand of faith. Nothing shall be impossible unto you. Nothing. I gave you all my testimony this morning, and I can tell you, as you go through an experience like that, doubt creeps in. You begin to question God, and you begin to wonder, where is God? And you feel as if God has forsaken you, he's turned his back on you, and you are 
all alone. You're wrestling and you're trying to figure out what is God trying to do. There's a song that says, when you can't, when you can't feel his hand, trust his heart. And you know what I learned in the whole process? God had me the entire time. Even when it was at its darkest moment, when all seemed lost. And I, I tell you, there's a sermon I'm going to do later on, probably in Cape Town next weekend. There's a sermon I do about Elijah when after he had, he, after he had beaten uh, Jezebel's prophets and called down fire and rain was going to come and it seemed as if the whole nation was going to come into revival and it doesn't happen. Ahab becomes even more, uh, 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 you know, entrenched in his ways. Jezebel makes a threat on his life. Elijah begins to run. And in 1 Kings 19 and verse 4, Elijah says something powerful. He says, Lord, take my life. He says it is enough. And then he says, for I am no better than my ancestors. Elijah asked God to snuff out his life. That's how distraught Elijah got. Now, Elijah was a man of great bravery, clearly. If you read this, the story on Mount Carmel, he's clowning them. I like him. You know, we trash talking. That's what we call it. Trash talk. When you play sports, we talk junk. And so he, he was trash talking them. Where's your God? Maybe he's on the toilet. Where is he? Maybe he went on vacation. But when the trouble came back around to Elijah, all his confidence disappeared. Let me challenge you. Some of you are going to do some great things for God, especially some of you young people sitting and listening today. You're called to preach this gospel, this eternal, everlasting gospel. Some of the young people in this room, some of you older folk have held down the fort. These churches have been built and for decades people have been worshiping here. And part of the reason that happened is so some of the young people in this tent right now would be inspired to come forward to finish the work that, God, that you all started. And some of you young people in here are going to travel the globe preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why you're here today, to hear my story, so you can know that you can do it. I was the child of a single mother with nothing except the Bible and the church. That's all we had. All we had was church. The only way I went camping, I didn't have a father. It was the Pathfinder leaders who took me camping. Us poor inner city kids. Well, I, I lived just outside of inner city, but poor kid. And yet, I did not know when I was a child that one day I would sit in the circles of presidential advisors. I didn't know that one day I would be on national television defending the faith that I have. I didn't know that one day God would call me to travel the world to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I had no idea. Never thought I was able or worthy of such a role. Let me tell you, young people, I don't care what your background is. I don't care where you came from. I don't care if it's a background of wealth or a background of poverty. What matters is your future in Christ Jesus. He has called some of you to do great things. All your life, everything you've been through, all of your experiences is God churning you. He's churning you. He's trying you in fire. He's preparing you for a great work. Do not let the devil convince you that you can't do what God has called you to do. Some of you don't even know what you're called for yet. You haven't even received the calling. One day you're going to get the calling. I want you to remember this day that you have been called because God is able to use you. Abraham wasn't ready when he was called. 
But when it was all over, he was the, he's the father of the faithful. I challenge you young people. And so in our next session, in the next half of this, I'm going to go through a little bit more of a seminar approach. And we're going to talk about how to know God's will for your life. There are eight points that we're going to go over. And when we go through the eight points, when it's time for you to choose college, choose a spouse, find, choose a job, choose a career path, choose whatever you need to choose, there's a steps that you can go through. And if you follow the steps, it will help direct you in the way that God wants you to go. That's the next session. So I'm challenging you. I'm going I'm to stop here. I think it's almost time to stop anyway. We're going to take a break until the next hour starts. So in about 14 minutes, we're going to start back up and we're going to do the presentation, how to know God's will for your life. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to study your word. Lord, I ask that you constantly remind us to take our doubt to you. We're going to doubt when struggles come, when trials come, when difficulty comes. We're going to doubt, Lord, when we can't pay the bills or the tuition, or when our job is just overwhelming and, and, no one, and we seem so underappreciated. But Father God, let us always remember that like the father of that demoniac boy, we are to take our doubts towards you and leave them with Christ Jesus. Lord, as the father said, we believe. Help thou our unbelief. But the spirit of prophecy says that if we do this, we will never perish, never. Bless your people that they be not a nation of doubters, but a nation of believers and doers. So our prayer in Jesus' precious and holy name. Let the church say amen, amen and amen. This message was presented at the Amen Missions 2017 Bible Conference, Shaken But Not Forsaken in Port Elizabeth, South Africa. Amen Missions, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, is a youth-led ministry seeking to inspire young people to be Bible-based, mission-focused, and Christ-centered Christians. Our aim is to assist in taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to all the world in this generation. For more resources like this, or to find out how to support this work, visit us at www.amen-missions.co.za. Amen. Advent message to every nation. This recording was produced by the Preparation Ministry.